0: welcome to the edges of lean i'm bella engelbach and in this podcast we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking unusual places where lean thinking is practiced we meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles so come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean Episode 37, Continuous Improvement in Plain Language. Bruno Pesic helps business leaders innovate profitably. He's one of the rare innovators who can claim that he's worked on a regulation-defying freight train and an award-winning board game for teaching entrepreneurship and innovation. And you'll notice in that brief bio that Bruno does not use the word lean. We talked today about how he practices lean continuous improvement and uses it in his innovation practice and never uses the language that we are so fond of. Bruno Peschatz, welcome to the Edges of Lean.
1: Thank you. So happy to be here with you.
0: So Bruno, it turns out you and I go way back at least in terms of lean uh, because you have a game called playing lean, which I bought a few years ago and uh, we've never had the opportunity to meet. So this is really nice to finally meet you and I do encourage everyone who is uh, listening to this podcast to check that game out. Bruno, tell us about Bruno. How did? What Whoa. are you doing now and how did you get to do it?
1: Oh, okay, okay, okay. So. First, as I said, I'm so happy to be here. Lean is a topic that's very, very close to my heart. And I think it it ties in nicely to what you asked me. And uh, I remember, I'm now going all the way back, but I promise this will be short. I remember as as a kid, I was very, very interested in uh, robots and how things work. And that led me to become an engineer in an adult age. That's what I studied. And during my studies in aeronautical engineering, I heard about this. Toyota production system, and it just blew my mind. And that is kind of, you know, I go, I went into industrial engineering. Then I graduated as an engineer, worked in companies, developing battle tanks, weapon systems, freight trains, etc. And that is how I got to experience what it is to bring an idea to life and also what it means to fail in many, many different ways. And what, what really picked up my curiosity is you know, how can I make things better? How can I become better innovator? How can I become better engineer? And somehow from there, I got to travel the world, work with different companies in different sectors, industries, you know, from defense to entertainment, maritime, oil and gas, uh, what do you call that? Uh, Medtech, et cetera. And here I am today sharing with people, hopefully something that they will find useful in their journeys as well.
0: And I think that, you know, that's another a connection that you and I have, which is getting into lean through product development. And there is this big challenge, right? When you come into, when you start to bring lean ideas and lean thinking into product development, which is a product development, while it has a lot of activities that look as if they are a manufacturing activity. So for example, I'm, was in pharmaceuticals, a lot of labs that were doing routine essays over and over and over again. There's also this innovation piece to it, which if you just look at the Toyota production system, doesn't necessarily fit, right? I mean, so mm. there's, there's language that you use and behaviors that you want people to follow. And sometimes it fits. And sometimes it really scares people mm. away so mm-hmm. i know one of the things that you're really interested in is how do you bring these ideas to people and and just make it less scary use use mm. different language what how are you doing that
1: yeah. so uh you, you hit nail on, on the head how, how they say and uh, unfortunately i had to to learn that the hard way so as i told you i was so fascinated mind blown by this whole toyota production system and i remember uh, you know as a student I was, I don't want to say crazy, but I was trying to, you know, to hunt down like originals from Taichi Ono and anybody who who was working and I was trying to, I don't read or speak Japanese, but, you know, I I was trying to understand, okay, what did they actually try to say? What actually happened? How did they translate it to English? What was going on? And I could make a lot of sense out of it. So, for example, in the original, Taichi Ono writes about Uh, Westerners, leading management by objectives by numbers, magic by numbers, etc. But in Japanese, what it actually says is, hey, uh, what we could do is we manage by ninjutsu. And ninjutsu is specific approach to martial arts. And if you're hearing this, and you have no clue what any of these words mean, what I just said is gibberish. It's like mumbo jumbo. And I didn't know that back then. So I took that. I took that to my friends, to my colleagues, and I tried to explain these amazing things, but, but no one was understanding what I was telling them. And I didn't fix that as a student. I took that to my work environment. And I remember like going to the front line, to, to the shop floor, and, and speaking to people. They were just looking at me like, Bruno, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I just started scratching my head. Okay what is happening here. And then I slowly started realizing, you know, using Japanese words, working in Croatia, I'm I'm a Croatian. So obviously it was in Croatian. But now when I work in English, using different words, not just because they're different language, but because they, they bring specific meaning, it doesn't work so well. What's more important is kind of understanding what was the intended message, and then framing that. So for example, Kaizen. Everybody knows about Kaizen today, but it's still you will have articles popping up. You know the true meaning of Kaizen, etc. It's not continuous improvement. It's much more than that. Okay, perfect. That's great for lean enthusiasts like you and me. But but, but walking walking into actual work environment and and starting with that, I promise you, it will get you nowhere. And, and you probably experienced something similar as well. It's almost like creating a small echo chamber, right? It's great for you and me and other practitioners in the space, but it doesn't necessarily get us anywhere. So what I've continuously find found and keep finding useful for me is trying to really understand what is behind the concept behind the words like, hey, Junka, Hansei, etc. Yes, great words. Yes, they have additional meanings. But for example, Hansei, why call it Hansei to your client? Talk about reflectivity or critical reflectivity if you want to be more correct. Explain it in plain language. So the story I like to use to explain Hansei is is a simple story. Imagine like you're in elementary school and you haven't prepared for an exam and you get a better grade than you expected to get. So when you come home, You take pen and paper and you try to think about it. Why did I get a better grade than I expected? What led to that? Why did that happen? Bam, you explained Hansei without saying Hansei. Yes, it's great if you're in the room with another lean expert and you just, you know, drop a comment. So it's it's like a secret handshake and you might feel great. But most people you will try to use your expertise with won't be that. And that is something that we have to remind each other in every space, not just in, in lean space. Plain language isn't a thing to avoid. It's something to embrace. And I'll, I'll just stop here for a moment. I, I could drone on for, for hours, but is that making sense? Does that make any sense to you?
0: It makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that I think is really difficult about that is, as you say, um, particularly for people who are uh, getting into lean, and discovering there's a whole community of people who are as enthusiastic as they are, and who are as excited as they are. But what Lean can do in organizations, that once you start to meet that community, and they start to talk in code, right? Mm-hmm. You want to be in. You want to be in there talking in code as well. And frankly, it's easier. But the flip side of that is that I think that all of us. Pravin, who don't speak Japanese have an imperfect understanding of the words mm. we're saying anyway, right? Mm. So we have these translations in our head. It's what it means to us, but it doesn't matter. I don't think it matters whether your translation is perfect or, or imperfect. What's, as you say, what is really important is, is the, are the people you're working with, are they moving towards a behavior right that will help them have their own understanding of what it is and mm-hmm. and um yeah i think you know, you're exactly right i can't tell you how many people i frightened away by
1: <laughs> yeah. so yeah. W- w- one thing one thing that that i like uh, to think about it from especially now we're becoming more and more sensitive to terms like inclusion and inclusivity and actually w- what we might be doing accidentally by using such jargon, we are creating an entry barrier almost like a layer of elitism which then translates to us accidentally becoming a gatekeeper. and a lot of in my experience, a lot of lean enthusiasts, continuous improvement enthusiasts that's the la- the the least what I want to be they don't want to be the gatekeepers. They- they want to to bring everyone on this journey, on this amazing journey of improving themselves in their business. And this is what I hope anyone listening to your, my conversation will trigger their own reflection: Am I actually by using this type of jargon and by using, you know, it can still be in English, but still be jargon and code, as you call it? That, that's a beautiful world. Am I actually creating an entry barrier because? to improvement, there should be no entry barrier. So I mostly deal with innovation. I, I, that's what I do. And I say innovation is all about, you know, creating value. And what I say, when people ask me, uh, should everybody be allowed to innovate or replace that, should anybody be allowed to use lean and lean methods? My answer is absolutely yes. That's such a silly question. Everybody should have the option but not everyone should be mandated to do it i know this sounds like semantics but it's so so different from the human relationship perspective imagine someone breaking down your door and telling you from today you're lean or from today you innovate so much different than having an option that i open the door and say hey i want to try this innovation thing or hey i want to try this lean thing can you help me on this journey can you show me can you teach me can you can you help me do this better so we have this accidental elitism and creating of entry barriers and sometimes unfortunately even in our lean world they're not so accidental that's how we protect power in some positions right so that's why we build this kind of things academia everybody knows academia even if they're not in it because most of us did get some some degree or something like that academia is a great example of using language to create you know ivory towers you, you need to learn the language of academia in order to get gain your entrance to it
0: and it's the same thing when you're working with an organization right because if you go into the organization and your expertise is not exactly their expertise mm. uh you may find yourself being shut out if you don't speak their language, right? So mm. it's it's very worthwhile um, if you if you're able to, as you're starting to work with somebody new, to listen for a while, because mm. uh, you don't want to run into that barrier yourself um, mm. in, order, in order to have the conversation. But I love what you just said about about inviting people to come along on the journey, because what would be what could possibly be more lean than saying mm. to somebody i'm going to do an experiment will you join me and do the experiment right and that and right you're not pushing it you're inviting them to come and learn with you and and that's about as lean as you can get
1: exactly exactly and uh, another let's call it mental model that i absolutely love is something called extended epistemology and that is understanding that it's not just about hearing or showing but there, there are different ways of knowing so there is the personal experience, and that is why invitation is so important. So I'm not just inviting you to watch me, I'm inviting you to, to do it with me. So through personal experience, then you get personal practice. You do it with your own hands, eyes, whatever might the, the work be. But then there's also presentational knowing, understanding in pictures, not just in words, but pictograms. And that's something we know from the production system. It's a great thing, visual management. And then there's also the propositional knowing, knowing how to express in theories. Why am I saying that I love this model is if you look at any experimentation, be it Toyota, Kata, PDCA, plan, do, check, act, plan, do, study, act, whichever of those models you like, they have that embedded because you're cycling to them. You're cycling to different ways of coming to understand. And when you're finally able to capture it back, then you have created the standard that you would like to talk to talk about without going in, in all the difficult vocabulary. And that is, I mean, it's just a journey. That's amazing to me. I, I, I can, I can never have enough. <laughs> so
0: how have you used this, um, with clients? How do you, how mm-hmm. do you take them through that journey? When you go mm-hmm. in, you start, you start out with somebody new.
1: Yeah. So, uh, here, I'm relying a lot on especially my martial arts background. So I've been training martial arts since I was I was a little kid. I'm an instructor there. Uh, I'm an instructor today. And what what I like to tell people, you cannot learn how to throw without learning how to fall. (laughs) So it's that's one thing. And another thing what, what some people like to say, you cannot learn how to ski from a book. Well, you probably can, you probably can, but it, it, you won't be the best. So how I use that in my work is first, it helped me as I usually take a role of an innovation coach or someone who comes in and I, I deliberately use this term coach. For example, I know that some in the lean space like to use the word sensei. Here is why I don't like the word sensei in this context, sensei coming from martial arts is a very specific type of relationship in sensei in a dojo is almost like small god if sensei says white is black then white is black that's not that's not how you should treat people as a lean coach or as a any type of improvement specialist because as we discussed just moments ago the approach you should be having is having more of an invitation bringing people along to experiment so that, 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 that's a bit of a detour to get to, to answering your question. I use all of these realizations in the work. So when I work with the client, first, I try to understand what is their understanding of the world right now? Not mine, not how I see. I don't walk through the door and tell you, listen, A, B and C sucks or do E, F and G. But I walk and I, I ask them, show me, show me how you do the work today. Show me how does your reality look today. Tell me, walk me through it. I want to feel it with them. I want to smell it, taste it, lick it. Okay, I'm, that's going too far. No licking, no licking. <laughs> no, no, no licking, but you understand. I want to I want to get the feeling of their reality with all my senses, and then I can offer feedback. The reason I said I connected to martial arts is, for example, I can show you a technique and you can ask me, can you Bruno show it again? I can show it again, but at one moment, I need to stop and tell you, you know, Bella, you show me what you understood. Show me h- how you do it. And then I see you. And because of my experience and expertise, I can give you a direct feedback. I can tell Bella, try standing more to the side, change your hip, use your hands differently. I approach the work the same way as I told you. I asked show me what you're doing. And then I see. When we talk about value stream mapping, that's exactly it, you're asking people that you're helping to create the value stream map, you're asking them to show you their work, their real work, you know, Gemba, when we talk about Gemba, that's my replacement for using the word Gemba. I just ask them, show me the work.
0: So simple in
1: English, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, show, just show me the work. And, and sure. then you have to figure out how to do that, right? Particularly in, in the innovation environment, it's not always visible what the work is, right? Mm. Um, the, the, the work in an innovation environment can be mental, it can be mm. happening in a computer. Mm. Um, mm. And so show, finding ways to show the work requires more creativity as well.
1: Exactly, exactly. And uh, it's it, that, that's a beautiful connection especially to, to the model I mentioned a bit earlier about uh, different ways of uh, understanding and knowing. What, what I love, even though we are mostly digital for the last uh, couple mm-hmm. of years, uh, what I really love for knowledge work is using pen and paper. It, it works great. And it, it's something fascinating uh, that happens when people understand that they can rip paper apart. I don't know if this will be caught on microphone. I'll try it.
0: Oh, yeah. got it. Okay. Yeah.
1: And that that's, that's one of my favorite. I don't want to say exercises, but kind of when I work with people that are in the knowledge work, especially in the innovation space, and when we start putting ideas down, first people need to get comfortable. Uh, because some people feel if I don't know how to draw, I have no right of putting anything on paper. If you can draw a straight line, that's all you need, because, you know, you're not, you're not about to be Picasso or I don't know, uh, whomever, you just need to draw triangle, square, circle and draw lines between them. That's the first step. And then the next step is, uh, now I cannot remember from uh, straight from the head who said it, but I like repeating it and that is spend ideas, not money. And the best way to illustrate that is to write an idea on a paper, and then rip it apart, because that's exactly what we are doing. And another thing, why it is so helpful, even uh, if it's not knowledge work, but to create this physical artifact on a paper on a whiteboard, flip chart, uh, internet space, whatever, is it helps us put our ego out of the conversation. So if you and I have an idea that you and I are discussing and between you and me let, let's say that right now we had a whiteboard of flip chart between us we put it in front of us. So now I'm not aiming at Bella and Bella is not aiming at Bruno, but that thing between us, that's what we are discussing. Therefore it's much easier to go hard at it because we need to go hard on ideas but easy on people. We need to respect this ourselves every minute of the working time and i mean working time every minute of 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 life and that's so easier if if we have a physical thing to discuss to go hard and keep respecting each other because if if you're just agreeing what everybody is saying then it's difficult to move ideas forward i went in all directions apologies
0: No, that's, that's great. You know, one of the things that that I like to teach is when you're looking at an idea, right, is, is, you know, ideas, particularly new ideas that they're like babies and, and and your own baby is always adorable, right? You you love your own baby, but um, sometimes they need to grow and they need to improve and they may not be the right idea for now. Uh, And, and so there are ways to ask questions about the ideas that are affirmative. Right. As opposed mm. to the kind of tearing down that we learn to do, particularly in academia. And, mm. and so, you know, asking, like, how might we overcome this issue with the idea is way better than saying the idea is terrible because it has this issue. Right. Because yeah. now you're, you're, you're saying something, ter- you know, also saying, well, the person who came up with the idea, they're not they're not all that great either. So mm. so just bringing in. Yeah, I love that you got to go hard on mm. the ideas and easy on the people. That's yeah. that's that's really great. When you got, when you, as you were bringing lean thinking into this innovation environment, into the product development environment, mm. what did you see as the biggest challenge? What was, apart from, you know, bring just bringing in these very different ideas, mm. what was the biggest challenge in terms of particularly Toyota production system thinking?
1: Mm. Buy in. And uh, l- l- let me explain. Uh, specific when i say buying i mean a very specific thing so uh, yes there is agreement that it's uh, difficult to get alignment or, or buying from different stakeholders i find that workable what i found surprising especially at the beginning of my career and and didn't understand is that that needs to be repeated all the time so it's not it's not a singular discrete event where suddenly the whole organization, bam, we are lean now. But it it literally starts person by person. And that is, uh, my big learning from that is, and uh, that experience has repeated for almost any type of transformation, that it's very important to have a vertical slice of the organization instead of saying, well, we need all executives on board or we are doing bottom-up grassroots movement. If you have a vertical slice then you have the vanguard and exemplars for the organization what i mean by vertical slice few people from the top management few people from the middle management and few teams or sectors divisions whatever from the front line because we are social creatures humans when i see oh another line is doing that and their managers are supporting them and their executives aren't getting fired or losing their bonuses because let's get real, people really care about their bonuses. So if you introduce something that will remove that, good luck with your initiative. So when you have this vertical part of the organization doing something, the rest of organization starts taking notice and they start being, hey, I wanna try that out. Can I try it as well? So now we're talking push and pull in lean. Hello, why don't we use that in transforming organizations? You want pull from employees. You don't want to push on them like some sort of a tyrant. So that is where my experience has led me. When realizing that that getting this buy-in is so nightmarish, and that it needs to happen again and again and again, what I started experimenting is how can I avoid having that? How can I how can I have people ask me like, Bruno, can you tell me more about this instead of me being like? Uh, Door knocker, bam, bam, bam. Hello, would you like to hear more about how to innovate and become lean? <laughs> it's much better <laughs> when people ask, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Pe- people are not necessarily interested in that. Bruno, we kind of met early, um, though I don't think we realized it through the game. Tell us about the game.
1: Oh, so uh, the game is about th- playing lean, is about uh, teaching lean startups. So to those in, in the lean space, lean startup is one of the younger kids, although it's now uh, more than 10 years. Uh, what I like to say that lean startup offers is an alternative process for developing products and businesses. And it's very much inspired by lean manufacturing, etc. Cetera, et cetera, in a way that it tries to avoid the waste of creating things people won't pay or benefit from. So it doesn't go from this cost reduction perspective, but more like, Hey, let, let's avoid this waste at all. And the result of that is avoiding cost as well. Uh, wh- what I'm really proud about the game is that we developed the game using the processes that we were trying to teach. So we experimented a lot. We made different iterations. You know, we tested it in a many, many different ways. Uh, when we first launched it, it was a failure because we missed the critical assumption. So what happened is we had so many tests with the game and people loved it and were learning what they were supposed to learn. What we failed to test or we thought we tested, but in fact, we haven't is who is actually the customer of this product. We assume that the people who want to learn the method, they're the customer. But what we realized once we launched a crowdfunding campaign was that it's actually educators, consultants, coaches, those that want to teach the methods to the people, they are our real customers, because what we created is a teaching tool. So that was a big, big learning. And that, that's why I'm so proud you know, of, of, of using the very method that the game is teaching in creating the game itself. Uh, another thing I'm very proud so uh, lean professionals, they are no strangers to using games and simulations what i say and i i I expand on that in in a planet lean article is i say that a lot of those things aren't games at all they're just something that's colorful and maybe looks like a game but isn't actually a game a game is something people can play even without the lean elements for example i know that playing lean is bought by families just to play They, they don't care about lean methods at all so it's important and i mean I could probably go for for way, way, way too long, but uh, games are such a great way to introduce concepts that people are adversarial to, because you create this environment where it really is safe to fail. But the big danger of using games and simulations that unfortunately a lot of universities fall into is they use them, but then they don't connect them to the real world. Because as we know from Lean, Uh, training within industry and all of that practice is the best teacher so games can help you create that temporary bridge where someone will open their mind because they experienced it in the game that hey if i do things a bit differently i can actually expect different results but you must use that moment (laughs) you must go to where the work happens in that moment and actually start using the lessons learned
0: and then, le- yeah, and then learning from how you you tried it out, right?
1: Exactly, uh, exactly.
0: Deliberate, deliberately cl- thinking about what did I did this? How did I, what did I learn? How did I learn it? Mm. And then, exactly. uh, is that, yeah. How am I going to use that the next time? Yeah, yeah. And you also have a book coming out, which is, uh, I think, a, not a directly lean book, but tell us mm. about that too.
1: Yeah, uh, I'd love to. So. Uh, as, as you said in the beginning, in general, I moved away from using too much jargon. And uh, one area where I've seen a lot of jargon is, well, strategy and data. I, I don't need to tell you about it. it. It became really, really popular. And in general, I find data to be very, very important. So all, all the lean practitioners, I believe, will agree as well. But how we, how we treat data is sometimes very, very problematic. So. What I did, I partnered with uh, Dr. Dominic Dellerman, and we looked into, okay, what is actually essential data, the minimum amount of data that you need to improve your strategy and to make better decisions. And it ties in nicely with basically lean approach to testing stuff, be it Toyota be it PDCA, everything we discussed earlier. Because in reality, to improve your strategy, to make better decisions, you need only four different data sets. You need to, to know what's happening inside your organization. You need to know what's happening in your in your industry. You need to know what your experts know, because people have a lot here, but that isn't captured. So you and mean you you, know- your
0: internal experts?
1: Exactly, exactly. Because w- what I like to say is. Uh, companies don't know anything. It's people like you and me in companies that know something. If I leave, expertise leaves. So a company cannot claim it knows that anymore unless they have everything documented and standardized. And that is why in our research, we found out that so many companies overlook their own internal expertise because not just that, but let's say that I'm starting a new project and I don't have access to you. So even though you might know something very very useful for my project, if I don't have access to you, uh, we are not efficient as we think we are. And then the fourth set, very obvious to every lean practitioner, but still overlook customer data. You know how are customers reacting to the products, to the services, their needs, their desires, and so on. And these four data sets, uh, no it's easy to collect. them, So that, that's what we cover in the book, how, how everything is connected. Uh, we called it augmented strategy, because uh, our take is uh, artificial intelligence, everything that's coming isn't about replacing humans, but it's about improving us augmenting our existing capabilities. Th- that's why we went with with this augmented strategy instead of like some AI or something like that.
0: That's that's really that's really cool. And I think it is actually very pertinent to uh, people in who are working in the lean area, particularly if you're mm-hmm. involved in helping a company develop its strategy. If mm-hmm. you are, uh, you know, doing um, excuse the expression, hoshin kanri, uh, you know, you, these are the things that you you need to know. And uh, yeah, so so it sounds like actually a, a book that lean practitioners should be uh, taking mm-hmm. a good look at. Yeah. So. Yeah, so thanks. Thanks for that. Um, you know, one of the you know the thing is, w- when you were talking about the the internal expertise mm. and the the lack of um, the lack of connection between internal experts, you know, I think that really brings us also back to the ability of people in the organization, as you said, mm. to actually have access to each other. Mm. Um, and so I wonder if this sort of, a, you know, when you're looking at, is there a voice of the hierarchy? Is the hierarchy? Yeah getting in the way, are your silos getting in the way, or you know unspoken rules hmm. about you can't talk to this person unless you talk to this person first. Hmm. Are, they, are they slowing the company down? Is
1: absolutely, like, yeah. absolutely. And uh, I, I'm sharing my experience from mostly, I would say, European perspective. Um, most of the companies I worked in and worked with are primarily in Europe, although I also work in the Americas and Australia and uh, moving hierarchy to the side like those examples w- when people say why are you talking to me you're two levels below or you're a different type of organization so that i'm not talking about that i'm talking about uh when people actually don't know what exists and the practices i found insanely useful are communities of practice that that's right. that's it it's it's a really really simple thing to do uh Simple does not mean easy. And this is where people start tripping on them and fail with communities of practice. Communities of practice require dedicated people. Not only that, what's very, very, very unfair from any organization is to try to establish community of practice and then people volunteer and then they're expected to do that on their free time. Hey, people, communities of practice are part of the paid work. They, they should be part of your eight-hour work workload or whatever workload you have not in addition to and that pays off to any company or any leader that may be listening to this it will pay off because people love sharing their expertise that's the truth any expert i have met okay not any there were maybe one or two 99 percent <laughs> of the experts i met in my life when i asked them a question they were so happy to tell me everything about it so much that they committed cognitive murder my brain hurt after they downloaded but that doesn't matter people love sharing their expertise so the the thing that pays off for any organization is to create an environment that will facilitate that and don't try to penny pinch on that by saying hey volunteers you get two pizzas oh wow maybe sodas as well congratulations If people come forward to actually organize that, allow them to have that part of their workload. If there are abusers, deal with them in the moment. Don't try to create a system that will try to avoid abusers. Humans are very creative. We are obviously capable of finding ways to abuse any system. (laughs) So it's, it's better to deal with it on case by case and lead by example, you know, if you have... manager that's abusing the system why shouldn't the employees do it as well so deal and lead with examples oh sorry sorry bella i i I went all over the place again sorry
0: you're great you're great so bruno just just to uh to wrap up uh tell us what is your advice for a young person studying out and i know you're working in the university so what do you tell people
1: Mm -hmm. Learn how to learn. Learn
0: that how is, to
1: learn. Yes, that is something to to young people that, that I, I wish I, I took that seriously earlier. And it's, it's, it's actually a quite, quite quite a big term, but I'll, I'll try to keep it very concise and to the point. First is understanding that everybody learns differently, including you as, as a young person. So some things that work for others may not work for you. And second, learning how to learn is one of the most scalable skill sets. The earlier in life you learn that, the more reward you will get out of it. Why? Because human brain doesn't learn linearly. It's not like a straight line, but it's geometrical. So you learn one thing, when you learn another thing, it opens a world of possibilities. And I remember that so, so, so vividly. In high school, I had a class on automatization. I didn't understand a thing. I passed it. I got an average grade, but I, I didn't understand it. I just had to you know, learn it by heart and pass my exams. And then at university, I had a, a professor that really knew how to teach. And I, I just had this moment when everything suddenly started making sense. And everything I learned in high school suddenly opened up to me. So it wasn't I learned one new thing. But through this one thing, a world opened. And that's why I say, you know, learn how to learn. There are many resources out there. There are many people that will help you. A funny book, is it? It's somewhere here. A funny book out there. It's called How to Read a Book. I bought it. I haven't read it for many many years and then I finally sat down and it's amazing. <laughs> like most of us are learning from books like at elementary school level and there are so many different levels. And a few of the very very brief practices I will share and then back to you is one is learn how to talk with things. Speak with books, speak with yourself, speak with inanimate objects. Have a dialogues and conversations. It's so much richer than just thinking through. And another one is try to have a notebook or whatever. You don't need to write into it, but actually learning how to reflect is such a useful skill. And the simplest way I've found it is, you know, if you have a decision or something, just just write down and write down what you think would happen. Write down what you will do and then do it. And then go back to that same page and just add what has happened and if it was different from what you expected that would happen why and how and this is such such a simple practice and the sooner you have it and if you have a notebook i have like stacks of notebooks here is the latest one it's, it's just a small a5 if you have that you will become a better professional i promise you like i i promise it's it's impossible not to become better. It doesn't matter in what profession you are. And I'll stop here. I'll stop here. That's, learn how that's to
0: learn. really, really good advice, Bruno. Thanks. How do people find you?
1: Uh, well, through you, of course, you know me. Uh, other than that, uh, you can always find me on the website, www.pesec.no. So, a lot of topics we've spoken about today. Uh, I try to you know, share as much as I can because I've been so blessed to learn from others. And I made a promise early in my life: what I learn, I will make available. So all my thoughts, I just write, I put it up there, read, use, do whatever. I hope it helps at least one person in the world. I'm happy.
0: That's great, and it's in the show notes, and it is a great website. Lots of uh, lots of interesting things. So thank you, Bruno Peschets, for joining with me to the edges of lean.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: This is Bella Engelbeck, and I'd like to thank Bruno Pesic for being my guest on The Ages of Lean. How do you teach lean and continuous improvement with less strange and unusual language? We'd love to hear from you. Find Bruno at https colon backslash backslash www.pesec.no. Find me at leanforhumans.com and you can find both of us on LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you. Please join me in exploring more of The Edges of Lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelberg with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.